Well, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Mark. We are in Mark chapter 4. We are looking over verses 1 through 20. And this is part 3 of our section of dealing with the parable of the soils. The title of the sermon is called Fruitless and Faithful Soils. So let us give attention to the reading of God's word. We will read the whole section here. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things and parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprung up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked, him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of For other things enter and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is God's holy and inspired word. May he add his blessing to it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come now to prepare to hear your word, Lord. We pray that this would be a time where we can learn that you would illumine our minds to understand what you have to say to us today, Lord. Impress to us Christ and, and help us out of love and thankfulness to live in light of these truths, Lord. Lord, we pray that the, as the word goes out, as the gospel message is proclaimed, that it would land on good soil and that you would indeed yield the fruit of that uh, by the power of your spirit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So Lord, we pray for you to be glorified in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, we have been going through the parable of the sower, and we've even called it the parable of the soils, because in this we are dealing with certain soils, and and, and here we see the importance and and the question of how do we hear the word of God? Uh, There's various responses to hearing God's word. And as we see, that has been the case with Jesus as well. As he is going out, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's going and proclaiming uh, repentance and believe in the gospel. As he's advancing his kingdom by proclamation, he is encountered with various responses. 
Now, he's been going and authenticating his messages by miracles and signs and wonders. But in, as he's doing it, he's also confronting the religious leaders' hypocrisy. He's confronting their legalism and traditions. And as they're doing that, they really do not like him anymore. In fact, they want to kill him and put him to death. And so the question might go out, well, Jesus, if you're truly the king and you're truly preaching good news, shouldn't everyone embrace you? Shouldn't everyone accept you? Is the gospel insufficient? Are, are you uh, not truly the king? And so these questions might arise. But Jesus gives us this parable to indicate, hey, this is how it is. When the word goes forth, when the gospel message is proclaimed, there are various receptions to God's word. Now, as we do this, we, we, are, we see the importance of hearing, but also we see the reason why Jesus teaches in parables. So, so just by way of review, recall why Jesus teaches in parables. He, he says, uh, he teaches in parables and he gives them this story, this illustration, and says, you as ears to hear, hear. And the disciples come and like, oh, what do you mean by this? Why don't you teach plainly anymore? Well, parables were a way to teach truth to those whom he uh, selected, but also to conceal truth in judgment for others. And as we saw, the, the Pharisees have had full proof that Jesus is truly the Messiah. He's the Son of God, but they concluded that he was from Satan instead. And so now Jesus, instead of teaching plainly, is now teaching in parables. And he quotes Isaiah as well as he says this. He says, So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So he goes, I'm writing these, I'm saying these things in parables now, so that I can conceal as judgment from them, but also to teach. And so the nice thing is he does go on to teach and explain the parable. And that's what we're going to look at today. So as we're Reminded of the purpose of parables, people can hear but not truly hear. And so Jesus interprets this parable for us. And we're going to look at the different soils, the different responses. And so the big idea for today is as the seed of the gospel goes forth, some bear fruit while others are fruitless, which reveals the state of the heart and the evidence of the supernatural work of God. We're going to see this in three ways. First, we're going to review the hard soils, what we saw last week, the hard soils. Second, we'll see the thorny soil. And then third, the fruitful soil. So let's dive in by way of review, looking at the hard soil. Look with me first at verse 3, where we look at the pathway soil. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. So the first soil we, we come to in Jesus' uh, story here is the soil on the seed that falls on the path, the soil that is the path. And this is like the walkway that people are walking. And so seed falls on that. It's compact. It's hard. Seed really can't be planted and grown on that. Not only that, the birds come and devour it. So there's no hope for this seed. It's crushed under the foot. The birds come and, and take it away. It's not going to grow. Jesus then goes on to interpret this parable in verse 14. He says, The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So this first soil is a hard soil because it has been been, uh, walked on. 
and the soil has been compressed. It's hard as a rock. Nothing grows on it. And then the birds come and take it away. He says these are the ones who hear God's word. So they hear it, but it doesn't take impact. It doesn't go in their heart. It doesn't take root. These are those who have no preparation when it comes to hearing the word of God. In fact, they could care less. They have, the word of God is not a priority to them. Their, their heart is neglected. They don't prepare their hearts to embrace God's word. And they're distracted by all sorts of other things. Satan throws the many birds of distractions out to, to take the word that is being sown in them. And so... Satan doesn't want you to embrace God's word. He wants to snatch it away. He wants to take it away before it's even planted. And so this soil is the hard soil that is not receptive to God's word. And the birds come, take it away. The second soil is the stony soil, another hard soil. Look at verse 5. It says, Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprung up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. So we hear the rocky ground. Now, this, this rocky ground isn't just soil mixed with you know, rocks and pebbles and stuff. It's, it's a fine layer of soil that's on top of bedrock. This is limestone bedrock. And so if you've ever been familiar with that, plants can grow like on the little surface of that layer there. But when they grow, the roots hit the, the, the bedstone of the rock and they can't go down anymore. And so it pushes the plant up. So it says they sprung up right away and then the sun comes out. And as the sun comes out, the roots weren't able to go down. They can't dig deep, so they're scorched. They wither away. So instead of growing up, it hits the rocks, it goes out, it comes up. And the seed looks like it's sprouting. It looks like there was soil there. But then the sun comes out and just reveals it's truly hard ground that is there, unable to produce fruit. So the end result is the same as the first. Both do not produce fruit. While one had no chance, the other one even sprouted for a time. But then the sun came out and scorched it. Notice Christ's explanation here. Look at verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This is a picture of one who hears the gospel. They joyfully embrace it at first. But they don't really count the cost. They don't really consider what's all involved. They, they see Christ and they, they love the, the get out of free jail card. And they say, yeah, that's what I need. I, I want Christ. I don't want to go to hell. I'll, yeah, I'll believe. But they don't really count the costs. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, pick up your cross and follow me. You know, it's a, it's a call to be willing to suffer. If Christ suffered, you will also likely suffer as a believer, as his follower. And so the sun comes out and just reveals what is really underneath the surface of that soil. It is rock. It reveals the true condition of the soil. It reveals that. And so the sun comes in the form of tribulation, in the form of testing and persecution. And so when someone bears the name of Christ, 
sometimes there will be persecution in the form uh, from family, from, from friends, from, from the world. Because the gospel message is an offensive message to a, a world that rejects God. And when persecution comes in that, persecution has a way of, of weaning out those who are truly believers. To have the true believers. And so the sun comes out, the plant's withered, and it's the person who hears the word, embraces it at first, looks like there's, there's life, but then the hard trials come. The hardships, the suffering, the persecution, and they wither away. A faith is, that does not endure, a faith that withers in the sun, is a worthless faith. The result is the same, no fruit. And so those were the hard soils that we saw last time. If you want to see that more in depth, go to last week's message and you can see that. Now let's consider uh, the thorny soil. Look at verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. So remember, the, the sower is going out and he's casting his seeds indiscriminately on various soils that are going out. So we've seen it hit the, the, pathway, the pathway soil that's hard, rocky, and, and uh, it can't grow and the birds come and snatch it. We've seen it fall on the, the stony, rocky soil where there's a fine layer and it hits the rock and, and it can't go anymore. So the sun scorches, killing it. Now here's another one. This is seed that is scattered on not hard soil, but soft soil. Soft soil that seems like on the surface it'd be able to grow, but it's infested with thorny weeds. So the seeds fell, some on the soil, but intermixed with that soil there are thorns. There are are the roots of of weeds, of of thorns that are, are there. And as the seed begins to sprout, alongside of it grow these weedy thorns alongside. Now, the Jews who were hearing this at the time would have been able to very much understand what Jesus is is laying out here. He's describing uh, what it looks like around Palestine. Around that area, you have the path. Okay, that's rocky and hard. Okay, next to the path, you have that stony limestone layer with a fine layer of soil. Okay, we get that. And then when you go further into the wilderness area, you have all these thorn bushes and weeds. Uh, it's an, it really infested that area. And so they could identify with this area. Thorny weeds grew and never seemed to go away. Those who were wanting to, to plant, they saw these things as a hindrance. If you've ever planted a garden, surely you know it's important to keep uh, your garden free of the weeds. Because then the weeds can take over. They can take the good nutrients of the soil. They can take the moisture of the soil. They can grow roots and invade the good plant. And before you know it, they have taken over and the plants have died as a result. And so the Jews could identify with this. It was an agriculture uh, area there. And so they did some planting, and they knew, okay, yeah, weeds and plants, that, that's not a good mix there. So the soil appears good, but the, the thing about it is it's never tended to. It's never cultivated. Weeds are allowed to grow alongside the plant. William Hendrickson called this soil the dirty soil because it's mixed with these 
thorny weeds. So the seed starts to grow alongside these thorny weeds, and it's a fight for resources. It's a fight for space, Uh, 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 not only above ground, who can get the most sunlight, but also underneath as the root systems are going out, you know, who can get the most nutrients and, and water. So the seeds tries to grow, but as you know, with thorny weeds, they always grow faster and they multiply faster. And so they take over and notice the result. And the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. So the plant, as a result, couldn't grow to maturity because alongside it were the weedy, thorny plants that grew alongside faster, and they ended up choking out this plant. They used all the resources. They, they took the sun. They, they took the, the water and the nutrients and the soils away. This word for choke here means to cut off by pressure or crowding. It's the idea of suffocating it. It says in one lexicon, it was used to plants whose food and light is cut off by weeds that crowd together, choking it off. So as a result, it couldn't bear fruit. Notice that this is a plant. This is a, the seed grew into a plant a little bit. It even lasted longer than the one on the, the stony soil. While the stony soil sprouted for a time and then the sun came, this one was growing up even a little bit longer. It grew alongside the weeds, but then the weeds eventually won and choked it off. So it lasts a little bit longer. So notice Christ's interpretation in verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So this seed grows alongside these thorny weeds. They grow, the weeds take over. And Christ says, the one who hears the words, the word of God, is likened to one who hears it, but then the cares of this world. Notice the three weeds here, the three thorny weeds that Christ is describing that choke out this plant. Notice it says, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. These things choke the word. It proves unfruitful. In other words, it it kills this plant, these thorny weeds here. So these three thorny weeds, they choke off the plant. And as a result, the plant dies, withers away, and is unfruitful. This is one who is distracted by all these thorny weeds, who allows, you know, their soil to go on uncultivated. The word is not given priority in their life. They're the ones who don't see the, the issues of sin in their life and repent it and try to kill their sin. It's the ones who, who say, oh yeah, I, I love Jesus. Jesus is good, but then I love all my other sin too. I'm not going to kill my other sin. I'm just going to keep indulging in it. This is that kind of person It's a seed that seems to have sprouted. Initially, it appears like, hey, it's on the track to bear fruit. This is good. It it even lasts for a little while. They might believe the gospel. It It might seem that way on the surface. But with time, it gradually shows that it will be unfruitful because the weeds take over. Notice it says, and it proves unfruitful. The end result is the exact same as the first two soils. 
as the pathway soil, as the stony soil, the result is what? Unfruitfulness. When the harvest comes, when it's time for harvest season, it doesn't matter if there was a little sprout. It doesn't matter if the plant grew up a little bit. If there's no fruit, it's worthless. That's the measure. The, the sower plants to reap a harvest and is wanting fruit. But the result is unfruitfulness. The measure by which validates true faith, true faith in embracing the word of God in his heart is the being able to produce fruit. It might look like the, the gospel might have even been received. It might look like they love it. It might look like they're participating in church and doing things. But with time, the cares of this world, the weeds, ended up taking over and they're gone. While the beginning might look different from the other soils, it lasted a little bit longer, the end result was the same. No fruit. Fruitfulness is a standard is the standard to discern whether one truly embraces the gospel. All believers will bear some sort of fruit. And so we see this soil, even though it might have sprouted, even though it looked like the seed might have lasted a little bit longer, it cannot grow up. It cannot mature. It cannot bear fruit, revealing the true condition of the soil. It's unable because it was allowed the weeds to grow alongside with it. So it reveals the heart condition, the true heart condition. There might be a superficial attachment to Christ, but with time, the heart will be revealed. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We go, it goes on to say that they're thrown into the fire. Now, it's not that they, you know, lost their salvation. No, it's, it's that they're sprouting. It's, they're, they're, they're showing that they're superficially attached to Christ. But the result, the, the way you prove that they truly are is if they're bearing fruit. And so they're not bearing fruit, so they're cut off. Fruit is the measure of a true believer is what Christ wants them to see. So as he's getting all these responses to his message, as the gospel's going forth, as he's proclaiming it, as he's advancing his kingdom, there's different responses. There's some that look like, oh yeah, this is great. But then Christ says, hey, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then the next thing you know, they're gone because they don't want to count the cost. And so, endurance, fruit, is a measure of a true believer. So let's look at these thorny weeds a little bit more in depth. Let's look over this, and as we do, look over the soil of your heart and see, is there any weeds that need to be pulled? Notice the first weed, the thorny weed here, but the cares of the world. There are so many things that we can be distracted with in this world, so many things that we can consider as cares, Uh, duties, things we must do, things that are good even. We all have worry in this life, you know, things that we uh, worry about, things that we must be responsible for and tend to. But the problem is is when we let it take over our life. It's good to have concern to provide for your family. 
It's good to have concern over your education or the education of your kids. It's good to have concern for your health. It's good to have concern for your town and your your nation. It's good to have concern for your environment. It's good to have concern for family time. All these things are good in and of themselves. These are all cares that we are all obligated to attend to in some form or fashion. But when they become so great, when they become so great that they consume us, and God is no longer our priority anymore, then it becomes a weed that needs to be pulled. It becomes a sin. Yes, we all have cares, but the issue is, is it growing and is it choking out your love for Christ? Is it taking priority over that? Is it choking out you from being able to hear God's word? Maybe you're so preoccupied with the the cares of this world that you're willing to miss church because of it. And you make that the habit. Maybe you're so preoccupied with, with the cares for your family and all these things that it's trumping your devotion for Christ. Maybe you'd much rather, you know, go camping or much rather see a movie or much rather uh, do other things like that, but it's trumping your devotion to Christ. We all have cares, but if we let it grow to where it consumes us, then it's a problem. When we pursue the cares of this life, letting it take over from our love for God, It shows it has just become a thorny weed that needs to be pulled. When we're so preoccupied with with all the cares that we need to do, you know, what clothes will we wear? You know, where where are we going to go? What's on on the calendar? You know, how are we going to be able to pay for these things? When we're so consumed with these things over our love for God, they become weeds that need to be removed. This is how an unbeliever thinks. An unbeliever is so preoccupied, an unbeliever is so worried about the the normal cares of this life. They're consumed with that. You know, Matthew 6, it says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, he's saying, look, don't make these your priority. Don't make things your pursuit. Make the kingdom of God your pursuit. Make that your priority. And then all these things will come. When we have cares that, that, that trump our passion and desire for Christ and his word, it shows that we're not seeing him as sovereign and in control. It shows that we're not truly trusting him at his word that he will provide for us. We all have cares, but the believer is one who doesn't let those cares consume him and drive him and overshadow his love for God. Instead, the believer does what Peter commanded in 1 Peter 1.6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Some translations say casting all your cares on him. The believer doesn't let the cares of this world preoccupy and grow so much to where it becomes this thing that takes over from your devotion to God. So this is the first thorny weed here. 
the cares of the world, notice the next, and the deceitfulness of riches. You know, you might be here and be like, oh, well, I'm not rich, so I don't have to worry about that. This isn't a problem just for the rich. This is a problem for the rich and the poor alike. They, everyone has, can have and fall into this way of thinking, to pursue riches, to think, oh, if only I had this much, then I'd be content. We live in a place that boasts in the American dream to work hard, make lots of money, retire early, and live the rest of your life enjoying what you worked for. Sure, those can be great things. But so many pursue this in the neglect of their faith to God. There's a deceitfulness about riches that, that lure, that make you always want more, that think, okay, if you can only have a little bit more, then it'd be enough. Then I'll be satisfied. Those who make a lot are never truly satisfied. You know, Rockefeller said, you know, how much, he asked, they asked him, how much is enough? He said, well, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. One of the richest men ever. And so there's a deceitfulness there. There's, a, there's an allurement saying, hey, you know, here's how you can be comfort. You know, that's why casinos are so popular. That's why lottery tickets are so popular and make all their money. Is because so many people are desperate for get-rich-quick schemes because they think that's a solution to all their problems. Our culture is enamored with the deceitfulness of riches. The pursuit to make a quick buck. This is a deception. People can, can fool themselves into thinking, if only I were rich, then I'd be content. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6. He says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's what Jesus is talking about. The deceitfulness of riches. This is the thorny weeds that sprout up. They may have claimed to believe and even walked with Christ for a time. And then the thorny weed came and the deceitfulness of riches took them away. This is exactly what happened to Judas, isn't it? Exactly what happened to Judas. Judas was one who walked and talked with Christ. He, it looked like he had true faith, but in the end, the hope of riches allured him and took him away from Christ. And in the end, it just showed he was not a true good soil. Consider the rich young ruler. Jesus, he, he comes to Jesus wanting to say, hey, how can I get in the kingdom of God? He says... Um, Jesus tells him, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, oh yeah, all these I've done. Well, Jesus exposes the weed, the thorny weed in his life. He says, okay, if you've done all these things, then you, one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have, give to the poor, and follow me. Jesus exposes his weed, his thorny weed that needs to be pulled it's his riches. And it says, what does he say? It says, he went away sorrowful for he was very wealthy. Jesus exposed it. He went away sad. This is why Jesus would say, truly, truly, I say to you, only with great difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of God. 
Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's because of the deceitfulness of riches. Deceitfulness of riches. Jesus would go on to say, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So don't let your, the deceitfulness of riches rise up and grow so much that, that that becomes your passion, your motivation, that it trumps your love for Christ, and it chokes out the word as a result just because you have a desire to get rich. So that's the second weed. The deceitfulness of riches. Notice the third. And the desires for other things. Enter in and choke the word. This is, uh, you know, if, if the, the last two didn't hit you, if, if you don't have all, let the cares of this world consume you, okay? If you don't let the deceitfulness of riches uh, allure you, Jesus uh, then gives this, this uh, capture-all kind of idea here. It's very broad, encompassing everyone here. The desires for other things. All things. All encompassing. This is a desire. Some translations say the lust for other things. Anything that takes your place, the place of God, has become an idol. Anything that you love more than God is an idol. And this is the idea. The desire for other things makes those more appealing than than following Christ. Luke's account says it this way, the pleasures of this world. We all have desires, we all have pleasures that we like to enjoy. But the moment we let it trump our devotion for Christ, it has become a thorny weed that needs to be pulled. And we're on our way to letting it choke out the word if we let it grow. Whenever you want anything else more than you want Christ and his word, that's evidence it has grown into a weed. 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. When we love other things more than we love Jesus, it just proves that the love of the Father is not in us. It reveals these things. Love for other things, a desire for other things, anything that trumps your your love for Christ and his word is a weed. It can be all sorts of things. It can be even family. It can be kids. It can be a wife. It can be a car. It can be a job. Anything that you love more than Christ There's a weed that needs to be pulled. Christ is supposed to be our primary love. So this is the person who who makes a profession of faith, who who sees, here's the gospel. It looks like they receive it. It, They come to church. They participate in things. They, They come to Sunday school for a while. They're there. And then gradually, it looks like they wean off. The next thing you're wondering, you know, where is so and so? They, they, they find, you find out later that they're consumed with other things. They're consumed with sports. They're consumed with uh, maybe their sin that they let linger and cultivate. There's no true repentance. 
Ultimately, they allow their sin to, to continue and choke out the word. You can't have faith and thorns growing at the same time. One's going to choke out the other. So pull out the weeds. Pull out the thorns. J.C. Ryle said this, These are they who attend the preaching of Christ's truth, and to a certain extent obey it. They understand a sense to it. Their judgment approves of it. Their conscience is afflicted by it. Their affections are in favor of it. They acknowledge that it is right and good and worthy of all reception. They even abstain from many things which the gospel condemns and adopt many habits which the gospel requires. But they, but here, unhappily, they stop short. Something appears to chain them fast. And they never get beyond a certain point in their religion. And the grand secret of the condition is the world. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things. Prevent the word from having this effect on their souls. With everything apparently that is promising and favorable in their spiritual state, they stand still. They never come up to a full standard of New Testament Christianity. They bring no fruit to perfection. So these are three soils. And if you look back, they all start off kind of different. But the end result, come harvest time, is all the same. No fruit. No fruit. It reveals the true condition of the heart. So as we proclaim the good news, we will see these different soils. We'll see some who may initially believe who may initially uh, look like they're, they're on board, who love what they're hearing, and then later on with time, they're gone. You know, John tells us they went out from us because they were not of us. In other words, they might, have, they might have been with us for a time. They might have even confessed faith in Christ, but it's not because they lost their salvation. It's because their heart was never right. They weren't really good soil. And Jesus is saying in this parable, expect that. That's a reaction to the message. Some will see, will hear, and let it go in one ear and out the other. Some will hear and, and have no care. They, know, they won't let the word of God even affect them. Some, looks like they embrace it for a time with joy, and then the hardships, the suffering, the persecution comes, and they're gone. Others, last a little longer, they're doing things, they're doing disciplines, they're, they're learning, they're, they're reading God's word. But then, weeds pop up. And the weeds eventually choke out that faith. And they're gone as well. So as we proclaim the good news, we will see these different soils. And, and there are times we see this all too often and we can get depressed and, and, and feel like, man, why bother? But understand this. We may see positivity at, at first. We may see a positive reaction. But these soils help us understand why they don't truly embrace it or endure. Now, while we, while we will see that, the nice thing is it doesn't end there. There is another soil. But before we get there, what about you? Are you consumed with the cares of this world currently? 
Are you so enamored by what's happening, happening politically that it's trumping your care and desire to read God's word, to hear his word preached from gathering and being with God's people? Are you pursuing anything more than you're pursuing Christ? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's riches. Oh, if only I can have this amount, then I'd be content. Maybe it's a spouse. Are you pursuing anything more than you're pursuing Christ? If you let anything crowd out your love and devotion for Christ, it's showing they're just merely thorns that you're letting grow that need to be pulled. So pull the weed before it chokes you out. Don't fertilize thorns. Pull it out. So these are the responses. But, so we don't lose hope, let's consider the fruitful soil. So look with me at verse 8. Another seed fell into good, gra- good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So as the sower is sowing indiscriminately the seeds that are falling onto the various soils, some hit uh, all these bad soils and don't do anything. But there are some seeds that hit the good soil. And the good soil then has the seeds sprout up and they're very fruitful. Some 30-fold. 60-fold, 100-fold. So we can say there's even various fruitfulness of, of the soils. The good soil is, is, is good. It's plentiful. It has been cultivated. It has been tended to. It is free of weeds. It is free of rocks. And it's ready to receive the seed. Beforehand, As a result, when the seed takes root, it's planted, it sprouts, it it blossoms, and it produces grain. It's plentiful, it's fruitful. Notice Christ's interpretation of this. Look at verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty-fold and sixty-fold and a hundred-fold. So all these soils, all these men, we could say, have heard the word of God. But this one is one who hears the word and accepts it. Hears the word. The good soil is one who hears the word. He doesn't let it go in one ear and out the other. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to latch onto it for a time and, and that's it. No, he accepts it and it bears fruit. This is the one who hears God's word and he loves it. And he, he needs more of it. He hungers for God's word. Luke's account says it this way, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So this idea of bearing fruit is, is, is in the present. It's, a, it's not a one-time thing. It's a continual, lifelong thing that they do. They're constantly bearing fruit. This is the pattern of their life. It's not like this one little fruit pops up and then they're gone. This is their life. The soil here is good. It's a, Luke says an honest heart. The soil is the heart, right? It's a good and honest heart. This is the prerequisite for a, a, a soil to be 
plentiful for the seed to be able to sprout and yield fruit. It must be a good soil. It must be a good heart. This is the only kind of soil who can truly accept the word. It's the only kind of soil who can truly endure when the sun comes. It's the only kind of soil that can continue with patience when the cares of this world come. It stands firm in the midst of these things because the roots have gone down and it has moisture and, and nutrients in the soil and, it, and it's sprouted and it gets the sunlight that it needs. And it produces fruit. All these soils might produce a little bit, but this one produces fruit. They all might sprout a little bit. right? We saw the, the, um, the stony soil sprout a little bit then wither away. We saw the, the, the thorny soil sprout for a while, and then the, care, the, the thorns choke it out. But this one sprouts, and it sprouts to maturity, and it sprouts and develops fruit. So when harvest comes, the, harvest, the harvester is satisfied. He sees this and is glad. This was the purpose. And Jesus' point is the only way you can know which is the good soil is when it bears fruit, when it endures the hard circumstances and continues to bear fruit. The good soil brings forth fruit. And notice how much. And bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So the good soil yields this fruit. What kind of fruit is he talking about? What does he have in mind? Matthew 3.38, he tells um, the men there, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So Jesus is saying, fruit is when you hear the good news of the gospel, when you hear your, the law that convicts you of your sin, fruit of that, fruit of a good soil, the fruit will lead to what? Repentance. The first fruit is of good soil is it produces repentance in the believer's life. They repent. They see the gospel as, as their solution. They turn from their sin. They're cut to the heart as they hear the law come. They turn from their old way of life and seek to follow Christ. They understand his work of salvation out of love and thankfulness. They want to do what he says. The good soil is one that continues in it the rest of his life. That's the pattern of his life, is one of continual repentance by keeping his eyes fixed on Christ. So the first fruit that he exhibits is, is the fruit of repentance, the fruit of, of faith, we could say. Galatians 5, he then exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. These are the things that categorize the pattern of his life. This describes him. He is, he's a loveful person. He's a patient person. Sure, there may be times where he, he falls here and there, but then he repents of that and turns back to Christ and exhibits this fruit. Paul says in Colossians 1, he says, So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the endurance and patience with joy. And so this is fruit. This is the life of a believer. This is the good soil, the good heart that has been cultivated is they don't allow the weeds to pop up. Is they, they love Christ and they want to pursue him 
They want to grow in their knowledge of him. And they want to please him. And they endure with patience, even in joy. Even in the midst of hardships and persecutions and trials, there's joy. Because they know what those things are producing in them. In John 15, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that, in, that it may bear more fruit. So trials in life, suffering in life, hardships in life, for the believer, are opportunity of pruning. And pruning is the result to bear more fruit. Yeah, it hurts at times. But God will use it to grow us to bear more fruit. He says, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the good soil that bears fruit is one that is attached to Christ not superficially by appearance, but one who is truly following him, fixing his eyes on Christ. And it's through that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he's able to produce fruit because he's united to Christ. So this is, this is what the good soil does. It produces this fruit, and there's various degrees. Some produce it more than others. Some 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. You never know who you might be preaching the gospel to. You never know what God's going to do in their life. We're just called to be faithful to proclaim it, to cast the seed and let God do his work. You might be preaching the gospel to the next Charles Spurgeon. Who knows? Be faithful to produce it. Be faithful to proclaim it, cast out the seed and let God cultivate it. So this is the good soil. But one question we must ask, what makes the good soil good? Notice it says, the one who hears the word and accepts it. Is he, does he hear it and accept it because he's so smart? Is he good because he's, he's such a good person? What makes this soil different from the others? Well, we all know the soil is likened to the heart, right? Luke's account calls the soil good and honest heart. So what makes this heart good? And honest. We know in Jeremiah it tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside altogether. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So the heart's not good because they're good in and of themselves. They're not good because they've tried so hard to, to be good. They're good... Because the sower tilled the soil to make it good ahead of time. The sower tills the soil. The sower removes the weeds and and the rocks that are in it so that the soil can be receptive for the seed that will fall in it. God is that sower. God is the one who prepares the soil to be good and through the power of the Holy Spirit can regenerate that soil to give it new life, to give it a a good heart, if you will, so that the fruit of the Spirit can be abundant. The heart is good because God made it good and made it be receptive. God is the sower who sows and cultivates the soil before the seed lands. He awakens the man to be able to receive it by faith. 
It is a heart that's be, that's eyes have been opened, that's been made alive, where they have heard the law and been aware of their sinful condition, likely because they've been they've been made aware of God's standard of perfection. Be holy, for I am holy. Hearing the Ten Commandments, love love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They've heard these things and been cut to the heart, realizing they don't do that. They fall short of that. And the purpose of the law, Paul tells us, is to drive us to Christ. It's to show our need. And so the law has pierced their heart. They've recognized their sinful condition before a holy and righteous God. And it's led them to focus on the one who does come, born of a woman, born like one of us, perfectly obeys the law, and then goes to the cross to pay for their sins. And they hear that and they're like, this is good news. This is excellent. I want this. I love this. And they embrace it because they've been given a heart to see that. Because God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has made the soil good to receive the the, the word. Jeremiah 31, For this is the covenant that I will make when the house of Israel, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and the brother saying, Know the Lord. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. So God writes the law in their heart. They know the law. It convicts them and they turn to Christ as a, as a result. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and from you, your fl- I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So the soil is good. The heart is good because God has made it good beforehand to be able to receive the word. The law has been applied to their heart. The gospel has then been declared as a solution. The heart is regenerated and is able to receive that good news and embrace it or to repent and believe and to bear fruit. It's the work of God. That's why Jesus says in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and what? Bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide so whatever I ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Jesus said, I chose you. Why? To bear fruit. To bear much fruit. So the reason the soil is good, is because God made it good. He cultivated it and prepared it beforehand and gave the heart to embrace Christ and then to bear fruit. This is why Jesus says also, you will recognize them by their fruit. So this is the good soil. And this should be an encouragement to us who are commanded to proclaim the gospel. Now, we are not the ones who cultivate the soil. We are the ones who just cast out the seed. We are called to proclaim the gospel to the nations. While the gospel message goes out, it will fall and land on various soils. Some will reject it to to their judgment. Others will embrace it for a time, but then they might fall away. We might lose heart, but then some will embrace it. Some will accept it. And we know from the word of God here that they will have great fruit. Some 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And this should encourage us. 
Because this is what God promises, and it's through the message of the gospel that this is accomplished. This is the hope. This is why we proclaim, knowing that those who, there will be those who receive it, and receive it gladly, and will believe. So while God prepares the soils, we must be faithful to proclaim it indiscriminately. And through the proclaiming, God will bring many to himself. So as we close, what soil are you? Are you the the pathway soil here today that is just hard and hardened? You don't care about God's word. You You don't care about it. You hear it, but it's going in one out here and out the other. You're already distracted by the football scores looking on your phone. The gospel message has gone out and hasn't bared fruit. Or are you like the stony soil? That looks like it's, it, it accepted God's word. It did it for a time, but then hardship has come. Hardship has come. You're like, you know, I've tried that before. That didn't work out for me. I don't, that, that's, that Jesus thing, that's good for you, but, you know, it's not for me. Is that you? Or maybe you're here today, and it looks like you're, you're, you're running with Christ. You're, you're, you're embracing these truths. You're coming to church. You're, you're, you're enjoying it. You're learning it. You're trying to apply these things to your life. But then you're allowing the weeds to grow alongside. Maybe there are some sins that these weeds need to be pulled. Maybe there are some cares or pursuits in your life that you're letting distract you from, your care, the cares of this, uh, from pursuing Christ. Maybe it's the cares of this world. Maybe it's this deceitfulness of riches. Or maybe it's any other thing that is taking its priority instead of God. If that describes you, cry out to God. If one of those soils describes you, cry out to God. Ask him to till the soil of your heart. Ask him to make you able to receive God's word. And repent and believe in the gospel. And if, if you are the good soil, I pray that you are. I pray that right now the, the, this, this word is going forth and landing on good soil. If that is you, are you seeking to bear fruit for Christ? What are you doing for his kingdom, for his glory? Continue. When hardships come, endure. When persecution comes, stand firm. Be a light and bear fruit for Christ. So as the seed of the gospel goes forth, some bear fruit, while others are fruitless, which reveals the state of the heart and the evidence of the supernatural work of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, are thankful for your word. We hear this parable, Lord, and we thank you that you have chosen to explain it to us. Lord, we pray that you would help this message today sink into our lives our minds to not just let it go out the door as we leave, but to meditate on it and to embrace it and to remind ourselves to fix our eyes on Christ, to not try to do things in our own merit and own strength, but to have our eyes fixed on Christ, to continue to abide in him, to endure when hardships come. Help us, Lord, to also pull out any weeds that we might need to be pulled out. So we don't allow them to grow forth and choke out our faith, Lord. Help us, Lord, as we seek to serve you and be lights for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.